0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them.
1: Hello and welcome to Phoenix Business Radio broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona, where we help build businesses and connect you with the right people. And today I'm very excited to welcome back to the studio Sergey Guk, who's the CEO and founder of Restoration HQ. Happy to have you on my show this time, Selfishly. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. And when we talked about the opportunity to have you back on with us, and again, just such wisdom and insight that you have around all things in your business and on behalf of Arizonans here, I said, bring somebody with you that really can help round out the conversation. And we talked about um, a handful of different approaches and strategies, and you decided that you wanted to bring Gina Rubin, who's the Executive Vice President with Edge Building Services. And before Gina has an opportunity, welcome, to introduce herself. I would love for you to share just why Gina and why Edge Building Services for today.
0: Well, I'm a big believer... It, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a village to build a business, it takes a team to succeed. And Gina's been a teammate of mine for a long time, even before Restoration HQ came around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met her when she was first coming out of college, working as a
2: waitress. Mm-hmm.
0: What? Italian restaurant, what was it called?
2: Uh, Carrabba's Italian Carrabba's. There you go. Mm-hmm. And
0: then she went into janitorial, so we became teammates, and that's how I really got to know her. Then we became friends. Then we became competitors, and then we became friends again and Mm -hmm. partners. And it just made sense. We do a lot of work together. We do a lot of events together. We know each other well. Uh, We're very well integrated, and I felt it would be a wonderful conversation with a lot of different diversity. Plus, our businesses overlap in a certain way, where she picks off, where she drops off, I pick up, and vice versa. So it made sense.
1: I love it and this is really what we love so much about Phoenix Business Radio and all the different shows that we host and produce collaboration is key Correct. right lifting each other up mm-hmm. and and just even that beautiful introduction you gave just now about your friendship and relationship and and working camaraderie is a great example of so many of the stories that we have so thank you for for sharing that Gina welcome to the studio
2: Thank you so much. I'm so, so happy to, to have here. you. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: I would love for both of you, and, and Gina, if you're okay to start, I would love for both of you to introduce yourselves, really talk about the, the business that you represent today and what your role is. And then we've got up to an hour, so we've got a lot of time to explore beyond that. But can you get us started about who you are and what you do?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Where do you want me to start? There's a lot to unpack in the show. However, amount of time you want to around. Yeah. I'm sure you'll touch on this at some point, but both Sergey and I are not from here. So Sergey's from Russia, and I'm from Ukraine originally. So English and we is... we don't have a
0: war we don't fight each other.
2: We definitely don't. So, <laughs> <laughs> but we both do speak Russian. So that's kind of fun to have on the side. But both of us are not from here. English is neither of us' first language. So how old were you when you moved here? I was 10. You were 10. I was 12. So I was a little older than you when I moved here. But we're close to the same age. And uh, it's, been, it's been a fun journey. But uh, yeah, so I moved here, I went to school at ASU, I learned English, Um, I did all the things, and I got into our industry right out of college. So I'm a huge supporter, and I love Phoenix, I love Arizona, I love everything that's happened out here, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but I think a lot of my identity and a lot um, that has to do with what I do today has to do with that fact that I love Phoenix, I love this industry, I love this community, and I've always wanted to stay here through all of the jobs that I had before. Out of college, I graduated towards the end of the 2000s during the recession, and there was no jobs available. Enter Carrabas. Into Enter Carrabas. <laughs> no, I actually, I got my job at Carrabbas, um a couple of days after I turned 16. Oh, okay. oh. So yeah. So when we moved here with my mom, we were just really poor. She worked at Savers. Like there was not a lot happening there. So as soon as I turned 16, I got a job in our neighborhood, and that was the Carrabas Italian Girl on 59th Avenue in Bell. Mm. And uh, some days you made $20 in a night. So that was a good time. But it was a job, and it was fine. And I worked there since I was 16 till I was 23. So I worked through high school. I worked through college. And uh, when I graduated college, I had no idea what I wanted to do because no one was hiring. And I graduated with a global business degree. And I thought I would use my Russian and Ukrainian background and uh, maybe do something with those languages. But unfortunately for myself at the time, I... Learned a lot about how business is done in other countries, and especially those countries. And the more I learned, the more I realized I just didn't have what it took to do that, nor did I want to. And I remember my senior year of college, a professor was like, I got you an internship. You should go out there and you'll get it. And I remember going to him. I'm like, I I don't want to do this. It's not going to be my career. I don't want to do international business. So when I graduated, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Kept working at Carabas, And at that time, my mom was a teacher. It was at the end of the year, and she had a parent teaching conference with a student dad of hers who was in this industry. And he was so kind, and he he told her, he said, why doesn't Gina shadow me for a day? See if she likes my industry. And that was such an amazing thing, number one, to offer because he didn't have to do that and waste his time, but he did. And I absolutely took the opportunity. And during that eight hours that I spent with him, I get to see his industry. He was doing engineering in the industry. So he had some meetings, we got up on some roofs, we did some other things, and one of the meetings that he had was a lunch with a uh, property manager, and she was looking for an assistant. And um, I interviewed with her, she hired me, and that was how I got into this industry. But (laughs) that was also the end of 2000s, and buildings were struggling. It was a smaller company, so tenants were angry, people were getting locked out, um, lots of things happened. And another lady that I worked with was so wonderful, and she told me, you know, It's not a great industry, but maybe I can help you meet some vendors. So she introduced me to um, a lady who ran the company. She didn't run. She did marketing, the company where Sergey worked. We met each other before that, but I wanted to work with her so much. At the time, she met with me and she said, I don't have enough experience. You don't have enough experience to do marketing for me. And I'm not going to hire you, but I'll introduce you to some other people. So she did. And the company that I went to work for was another janitorial company. So that was my first experience on the vendor side and the industry. And we can get, you know, more into the background of that. But uh, I spent a year over there. And then I got into restoration because I've always liked restoration. And unfortunately, I didn't get to work with Sergey and we became competitors. That I worked there for a few years. And uh, then I met my business partner and I got this amazing opportunity to start edge building services with him. So we are a commercial janitorial company. We celebrated our 10 year anniversary last uh, summer, which is incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. It's so exciting. Uh, we employ over 350 people here in the Valley. So we're definitely not small scale. And um, there's just so much of what I do. That I enjoy, and um, it's a little bit of my background. And I'm sure we'll get into a lot of the specific questions about that.
1: It's a fantastic but. introduction, yeah. And
2: <clears throat> not always an easy path. <laughs> it never is. You, I listen to a lot of the podcasts, and everyone's journey is what's so inspiring. There's so many beautiful stories, um, and I love people's backgrounds. I love learning where they came from and how they got where they are.
1: Yeah. So fantastic. Thank you. I
2: have no idea how I'm going to follow that.
1: Well. <laughs> You've done this a time or two. I bet you'll yeah. do just fine. <laughs> yeah. Your story's fun, too.
0: Oh, it's fun. As, yeah.
1: Fun, fun's a good word.
0: It, I'll, I'll take fun. <laughs> fun is good. So mm-hmm. similarities. Immigrants. So I came here in 94. So we're religious refugee, single mom and two grandparents. Mom was a nurse in Russia. Couldn't get a job here because of language and having to pass and all this other stuff. So um, also a very, very poor family. Um, we were very poor in Russia. Lived in community Housing Mm -hmm. were five apartments, only three kitchens, one bathroom. Figure it out. Take your turns. So came here, opportunity, uh, went to school. School was not my strongest area. Um, Fought through high school as far as going to class, graduating. When I graduated, um, I knew that the two things that always made sense to me was math and science. It's stable, it's not emotional. Two plus two is four, whether you like it or not. That's, that's just how it is, right? So I fell into this position. My best friend worked at a restoration company, which is where I started. He was the only employee they had because the husband was in the truck, the wife answered the phone, the daughter was the one that Gina was referencing that she met with. So we were a smaller company until about 2008. Uh, recession was actually good for us because for those of you that are listening, Restoration business is kind of insulated a little bit from that. The worst things are out there, the busier we are, because that's when we get called in, into disasters, into into storms, right? So COVID was a perfect example of that. While people were running out of the buildings, you know, everybody said we were essential workers, man, we were suicide squad because we were just going in hoping we're doing it right. So I worked for 12 and a half years for that business, nine years into it. I wanted to buy it out. They were getting older. It was mm. a family ran business. They wanted to retire. I wanted to grow. I still had a lot of energy and momentum to go. But unfortunately, when trying to buy a business with somebody who has an emotional attachment to it, it did not work out very well.
1: It's no longer 2 plus 2 equals 4.
0: <laughs> it was like 2 plus 2 equals 18. <laughs> So that was an exciting math. Me and the bank couldn't figure out how that was working. We thought maybe it was Russian math. I was from Russia. I still didn't figure it out. So I was having lunch with a friend of mine who was a contractor who did work for me. And I basically said, hey, I am actually looking to leave Arizona. Unlike Gina, I was not in love with the state or the city. When we landed in July 28th in 1994, walking out of Sky Harbor, I thought we were still on the on the runway because there's no way it could be this hot and i remember my aunt in the front of this 1990 nissan stanza looking and saying it's only 87 now it'll be 114 tomorrow right and i was like i'm gonna leave the state and i think you remember when i was telling you i wanted to get out of the state so bad so when i was having that lunch with him the topic was i'm leaving the state i'm finally getting out um i have the opportunity he said where are you gonna go I said, Seattle. He said, what the heck for? I said, it rains a lot. I'm in restoration. They got good food. Seemed sufficient enough. He said, no, you need to stay here. This is where your reputation is. This is where your history is. So you need to stay here. What would it take for you to stay? Well, I thought we were kidding. So I said, a bunch of money so I can start my own company. Oh, wow. And he said, yes. And then I thought we were still kidding. And we weren't. So we made a handshake deal. I needed some time to get up and running to build some capital. I also had some um, non-competes and everything else I had to work through. So I said, I can't be in the ownership seat right away. I don't have any equity to put in, but I have sweat equity. Mm-hmm. He said, fine, I'll put up the money. You put up sweat equity. Let's figure out how much time do you need to build up the capital. And we set the goal of three years. So at three year mark, he, all his shares got bought out. I became sole owner of it. And that's kind of when I started to fall in love with Arizona and Phoenix. And I think the reason I didn't like it before is I just didn't explore it. I was so busy working. 80 hours a week seemed like a normal one. So I didn't get to explore things. I didn't get to, to do any of those things. And to be honest, Seattle was probably one of the first places I really took a real vacation to that I got to explore. And that part, may be part of the reason why I fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. But through Gina and me getting to this position and having to be the face of a company, I started to have to go out more and network more. And then I started to fall in love with it more. And then the state and the people, and it just kind of spiraled. As far as Restoration HQ itself, uh, we're a little bit unique in our space. We're a commercial-only restoration company. We don't work for um, homeowners in a sense of Mrs. Jones owns the house. We can work in those properties. But the reason why is for somebody to be a customer of ours. The two rules that we look for is somebody who's a repeat buyer Mm -hmm. and somebody who doesn't spend their own money. As you can imagine, Mrs. Jones gets an emotional attachment to the 15-year-old carpet that she's got because her grandkids crawled on it. To me, it's, an, it's a dirty rag.
1: Two plus two <laughs> equals 67.
0: <laughs> yes. That's usually the age of those, uh, of those uh, demographics when they speak about it. But we are very unique in that space because we are uh, not any company's preferred list. We are actually aligned with the property manager, the building owner, the client, mm-hmm. who has a vested interest in that property, making sure the project is done right insurance company let's be honest they're in the business of making money that is their business right so it was a very unique model to go through we're about 28 plus or minus a few employees and we're sitting right around about 105 million square feet under contract in the maricopa county wow
1: tell me both of you about some of the labor challenges as it relates to trades and the work that you do I, we've had conversations with other businesses in and outside of your industry and one of the biggest concerns is a great workforce. What are you seeing? Is that the case? And how do you work around that? You
0: want to go first?
2: Sure, I'll start here. So we share a lot of the same clients, Ray and I. And being in this industry together is so great. And while we have so many more employees, we're a very labor heavy industry. And our industry, it's, you know, people come up with a new product and it's unique, it stands out, but our Businesses are a commodity industry. There, anyone can start a janitorial company. You have to have a little bit more of skill to start a restoration company. You have to be a little bit smarter. Got to have a better vacuum. Got to have a better vacuum. You've got to get some licenses. You have to do some things. But in my business, there's thousands of janitorial companies out. But most janitorial companies have no idea how to scale it. And they never get past that $1 million um, revenue mark. So it is an industry, though, that is overlooked. When I graduate college, when you go to school... No one thinks about this commercial real estate industry. No one thinks that there's a high-rise building and there's a person that sits there that purchases a janitorial contract, a security contract, a pest control contract, a restoration contract when there's a flood in the bathroom. And you just have no idea because you go to school and you think there's teachers and surgeons and maybe brokers in real estate. But no one thinks about property management. And when I went to college— I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. I didn't want to start a business. I, first of all, didn't think I would ever have what it takes. Second of all, they taught me how to be a manager. So I I think a little bit differently. So my partnership um, with Rick Graham Hill, who's been around for a long time and is so wonderful. We have such a great dynamic. And he has 20 years on me. So he's been in this industry quite a bit. And again, we were competitors when we met, but we became great friends. And when when I got into the restoration, we were networking quite a bit and we got to know each other. And so when the opportunity came to start Edge Together, I, um, again, I I don't think I would have ever done that on my own, but giving that opportunity by somebody I've gotten to know has been incredible. But one of the things that he taught me about this industry is janitorial is one of those things that's also a recession-proof industry because you scale up and you scale down Mm -hmm. as the industry changes, but you have to be perceptive to the changes in the industry. Buildings, Are occupied. During the recession, they really weren't. You know, then we got a great economy going on for a while. Then COVID happened. So you're constantly pivoting. You're constantly readjusting. And for me, for us, it's our employees are always at the forefront. How can we keep our team busy? How do we always keep them employed? What new skills do we introduce to them? And my favorite part about what I do is the people that I work with. Yes, their challenges, their struggles. But if you look at people that take the janitorial jobs, there might not be a forever job for them. They might be paying off a car. They might want to work at night while they're going to school. But they are the most hardworking people you'll ever meet. They're vacuuming for eight hours straight. They're cleaning, you know, toilets every night. They're absolutely incredible human beings. and. If you can treat that workforce as other industry treats their workforce, you get that loyalty and you get people to stay with you and they want to come to your company. So when we started Edge, we put things in place that a lot of our competitors don't have in place. And that helped us not only recruit a certain type of an employee, but also retain them and support them when life happens. Because when life happens to somebody that makes a little bit above minimum wage it's a lot harder than mm-hmm. somebody you know like one of us your car doesn't start you call an Uber you go to your meeting when you're making a few dollars above minimum wage and you don't have a babysitter and your car doesn't start you don't have that luxury so what do you do as an employer to have that person trust that they're going to have their job with you that they can be honest with you and that you're going to help them while they figure out what's happening so for us while everyone talks about labor challenges and labor shortages we will look at it and say how how can we help the people who work for us and how can we support them and through that i can't say that we had any issues with labor even over covid we just looked at things a little bit differently and put things in place that other people said you know this worked for us 10 years ago 5 years ago it's going to work through this and everything's terrible but it's not because they're not looking at it from the people perspective and what mm-hmm. people really need mm-hmm. so that would be my answer to labor challenges
0: you know, I echo a lot of that mm-hmm. actually. I um, you would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, um, obviously a different industry also, you know, going through school, restoration, right? Even when I tell people now, they look at me, they go, We live in Arizona, what, what do you do? <laughs> My grandfather actually, when I got this job, looked at me, said, So are you gonna suck up water and rip out carpet the rest of your life? And you know, as an arrogant young kid, I said, yes, I might be the best at it.
2: My dad has no idea what I do. When I tell him I work for a janitorial company, he goes, exist. you moved to America to be a janitor. And I'm like, well, yes, and so. I did. I yeah. sure did. And I, and I love it. <laughs> and when
0: I talk to people, it's the same thing. They're like, what do you mean you dry buildings? What do you mean this mold? Just wipe it off, right? Like, uh, so it's it was interesting to fall into it. And I also realized that there is a lot of issues when it comes to the way people are treated. And working for a smaller company – I really got exposed to a lot of them
1: mm.
0: not so proud moments that I had to execute on because of my position and reporting to ownership. So when starting Restoration HQ, not only did I want to choose a different clientele and how we went about it, but I also wanted to build a company that I would have been happy to work at as a technician. Not to say negative about the other one, but there's been there was moments that I was not so proud of, right? So one thing that we did is even in my first year, we started offering 401k matching. We wanted to it, We wanted people to start thinking about the big picture, not Mm -hmm. just a job. Because in my industry, it is brutal. It is absolutely brutal to be 24-7 on call. And it's not unheard of for my guys to put in a 12-hour day, get home, shower, and a call comes in and they got to go again. Now, we try to avoid it. We try to staff it. But the reality is you can't always have enough staff. It's just, it's not possible. There's no, there's no restoration company in this entire country that can sit in front of you, say that underneath their roof, they have every resource and every human needed to handle every type of job that happens. It just, it just can't happen. Mm -hmm. So we had these ups and downs. So I had to figure out how do I avoid those ups and downs? How do I give people that stability? Because they may not be making, you know, $100,000 a year, may not be making minimum wage or somewhere in between, or they're younger. A lot of my demographics for technicians is younger. Rarely can a a guy that's married with three kids who's had an office job to come home and tell his wife, I'm going to be on call and I don't know when I'm going to be home and I have to take the phone with me everywhere Mm -hmm. and this is just how it is, right? It's it's not going to happen. So usually it's somebody who starts off younger and gets conditioned to that type of life. So I have the challenge of having workers that are younger that the new generation doesn't see that as as glorified as it is, because you can get on YouTube and make a million dollars, a few other websites that we're not going to promote. But it becomes difficult, it's difficult to retain. It's difficult to make them see the value in the long term play, not mm-hmm. a short term. In fact, I think I did a LinkedIn post today about exactly that is not being so focused on the end result, but also enjoying the journey to get there. So during COVID, during recessions, we never have those problems. As buildings and businesses shut down, they tend to flood into our side, which is part of the reason why it has become so difficult now because all these big money companies have realized that this is an industry that has been overlooked, has great margins, is stable, and now you see everybody buying up all the small businesses. So I am once again got the upper hand by remaining a small local business, mm-hmm. Not treating somebody as a number, similar to what Gina talked about, is understanding their needs and how they are as an employee. And what can I do as an employer to provide them a different workplace that appreciates them from the janitor all the way to the CEO?
1: You both are great examples of relationships being a priority within the business, not only with uh, your employees, your teammates, but also your customers and vendors. and, And what a great example is that the only thing that sets you apart or are there other aspects of the way you lead and run your business that you would say also uh, make you unique?
0: My, my initial thought is I think trauma sometimes can damage people or sometimes gives them strength. I think what I went through, what I saw, where I came from and living what I'm referring to as American dream, that's my American dream. I started to realize that maybe I'm not unique and that maybe there is a value I can provide to others. And what I was going through is not unique. As before, you know, being maybe it was youth, maybe it's experience, um, maybe it's a combination of all of it. I used to judge uh, those lower-level employees. Like, well, if I can do it, you can do it, right? That was like my standard. So I had to learn those things. So I think the mm-hmm. trauma, the experience, being employees before becoming employers, just kind of became a recipe for success, right? So I think the uniqueness is the damage that we carry.
1: And yet we all carry some... Kind of damage. It is, and if we remember that, we can love on and value people without looking at, looking down at and anybody. ourselves. Most importantly, that <laughs> yes.
0: I, I've I've struggled with that, and as I've got older, I realized more and more. But uh, we tend to hide our scars, right? And especially being raised in Russia, and my grandfather was military, and it was that old mm-hmm. school of way: you don't cry, you don't show emotions, put dirt in it, right? There's no <laughs> band aids, and then all of a mm-hmm. sudden, you realize that that's just not the only way. That's just the USSR
1: way. It, it is a way. A way, yeah. exactly. Tina, like how it. about you?
2: I, I agree so much with what Sergey is saying too. And, you know, again, I never looked at myself when I was an entrepreneur. I absolutely love being a partner with the person that I work with at my company. And he's taught me so much. He was a mentor to me before we even started working together. And it's been such an amazing uh, partnership. And I look at things a little differently, too, because I started a local company and graduating from college, I was like, oh, my goodness, this company's a mess. How do we not have a process for this? Because mm. for four years, they taught me how to run Apple and GE and, you know, those major corporations. And here I go to work for a local company. And I'm like, what do you mean? You don't even PDF a proposal when you send it out? Like, how how's that going to work? And um, then it, I went to work for a restoration company that was a national and an international provider. There was, they were like a number, one of the top three in the nation, I went to work for them. And so I got to experience other markets, which made me fall in love with Phoenix even more. Mm-hmm. But I also realized that working for national and they it's not necessarily better. They have their advantages, but there's something to this local part. And when me and Rick started Edge, I went through a major health event that impacted me. One of the biggest things that I drive down to the team and one of our founding principles for Edge is life happens to people. We all struggle. And struggles could be health. They could be money. They could be relationships. They could be family. They can be friendships. But no matter how strong we want to seem, no matter how much we hide our scars, we want to pretend life happens and life gets hard. So as somebody that, you know, I look at us as we serve the team that works with us. So we're there to make sure that they have their jobs, that they come to a safe workspace, that if they need help, that we're there for them. So how are we going to do that? So for us, when we look at life happens to our teammates, I always want to keep that at the forefront. How are we going to help them through that? And how are we going to support them? And again, people go through different stages of their lives. They might want to work 24 hours a day one year and then health happens or they have a kid and now they don't want to anymore. So are they not a great team member anymore? Not necessarily. We just have to rework where they fit now or what their interests are. And if you're constantly doing that, that helps with loyalty, people's engagement. And again, just everyone is a little more excited to come to work. We all have to work somewhere you have to enjoy where you work. If you dread coming to work, if you hate Mondays, that's not great. My uh, business partner would always say TGIM instead of TGIF. So thank God it's Monday. You should be excited to go to work. It's going to be a great week. What are we going to do? So I always think about incorporating that into our days and that that helps. So mm-hmm.
0: the one thing I would add that I forgot that. Gina made me think of it. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in a moment where a technician calls out or something happens. And sometimes my managers get upset. Oh, with this and this. And I always tell them, and, and I've been using a lot more, responsible people have responsibilities. So if you hire a responsible person, there's going to be time where they have to stay home with their sick family member or take somebody somewhere. If you're not willing to accept that, you got to understand what you're getting. If that person is going to skip out on their family, as soon as they don't see value in you, they're gone too. Mm-hmm. So responsible people have responsibilities.
1: Mm. I love that. I'm, I'm getting so many bites of wisdom. Yeah. And, and here we are talking about restoration and, and commercial cleaning. Yeah.
2: Just commodity industry, this people overlook. Again, I think everyone, I've been hearing a lot about this by going to some industry things where it's all about the tenant experience. Like how are they going to make the lobby prettier, the lights shinier, the, you know, the lobby to smell a certain way. But no one ever talks about what is the experience for the person that's opening the doors, who's cleaning the doors, are the tenants going to smile at them or are they going to, you know, just roll their eyes and say, Oh, you're just another janitor. How are they going to treat the security guard? Because those are people too. And their experience by getting hired with a the company they work for is really important too. And also their experience working in the building that they work in. So that's something um, that I'd like to focus on for our industry because it does get overlooked quite a bit.
1: Mm-hmm. The industry itself, has it changed for you, Gina, over the years? How long have you owned? co-owned?
2: So um, I co-owned Edge Woodbrook for 10 years now, but I've been in the industry since 2010. So 2010, I got into this industry.
1: And what have you noticed from the business side of things, how things shifted business-wise and what do you suggest for local business owners here in, in Arizona specifically?
2: So one of my favorite things about Phoenix and Arizona, and, you know, Sergey got to experience this as he got out into the more marketing world. Because I start out in the more sales and a marketing platform, customer service. So I was out and about experiencing restaurants and the cool venues. And I live in downtown Phoenix. And I always say I lived in downtown Phoenix before it was cool because before there was three apartments and like two restaurants and there was nothing else happening. And now it's just booming, which I'm so excited about. It's so cool to see that. But um, there are so many great places. But Arizona has always been a relationship market. It is all about community. And the beauty of this market is people want to help each other and they want to help somebody starting out their business. They want to help somebody that has an idea, you know, the contractor. And I think I know who you're talking about that helped you start your company. The Rick, when he met me, you know, I was 10 years ago, I was 26 and he sat down with me and he was like, what's your plan for your future? And I was like, I don't know. He's like, do you want to be a salesperson for the rest of your life? And I'm like, I've never even thought about that. And he's like, well, let me help you think about it differently. And it's that mindset from so many people in the restaurant industry, in our industry, pick a sector, but there's just such a sense of community that I didn't see in other states when I worked in other states.
1: I totally agree. And I
2: love that. I love that. So I think if we keep that in mind and keep helping each other, it Phoenix is a big city, but it's a small city. It's mm-hmm. a big, small town always. Is.
1: It's who you know and how, and how you treat each other. Absolutely. What would you add to that? Now now that you're an Arizona fan, <laughs> <laughs> took you a while.
0: <laughs> it did. It did. It's the heat in Russia, right? I'm I'm that, that story. I used to walk in the snow and five miles and a turtleneck and everything else, right? It's not right? better. <laughs> it, it, it's not, but you can put layers on. You can only take so much off. Then it becomes illegal. It's a mess, right? So, um what I would add to the smaller businesses, I'm going to echo a lot of that, and we probably will throughout this, so to the audience, understand it's not just a cop-out, but it is. Relationships are incredibly important. Mm-hmm. We are here because of the relationship that I have with uh, a significant of others of yours, but it was a working relationship, and we have that. We have that uh, conversation. If he calls, if I call, I know he'll answer the phone. So those are very, very important, but also understand. Bad relationships are just as, as crucial, right? Uh, they will sink your ship. If you attach yourself to somebody who uh, jumps from vendor to vendor somebody who doesn't have that loyalty, you will get that reputation. The clients will see. They will figure that out. And it changes. What we have accomplished took a lot of effort, a lot of pain, a lot of phone calls late at night of just venting to each other to hold each other up. So relationship here, relationship mm-hmm. internally with our organizations, relationships externally. There's been a lot of times where I've had clients help give me heads up on something that's happening that I didn't see coming because of that relationship.
1: Could I ask a question? And this is really for both of you. What would you say to the business owner or the executive leader that says, I'm afraid to fire this client or this customer, even though they're so hard to work with and it's so difficult, or this vendor? Because if I let go of them, then I'm not making enough money. Or if I let go of this vendor, then I've got to go through this hassle of finding somebody else. When, when we're not treated with that same element of respect and reciprocity, mm-hmm. what do you say to the business owner who's afraid to let go of those relationships?
0: The fear that you have exists in your head, and it will never happen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it's been the most liberating feeling to terminate a customer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I did my first one in 2015. I was about a year into a business. And they tried to leverage that and say, well, this and this. But if you do this and do this, we'll give you more work. And the reality is I did not want any more work. I did not want to be in a relationship where somebody will use that and and do that. So terminating them gave me that feeling that, oh, this feels great. And then I've done it a few times. So luckily in the 10 years, I've only done it three times. In regards to partnerships and vendors, same thing. If somebody wants to forget what we're saying, there is a few books out there that showcase this. So one of my favorite books was Good to Great. It's focusing on what you're good at. If you have that client that consumes a lot of your time but only gives you a few points on your profit margin, you got to realize you're missing opportunities are the ones that are going to take care of you, the ones that are going to be there for you. So all those fears, everything you have only lives in your head. It will not come true, and if it does, let's be honest. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a business owner, and you find yourself in a seat in the driver's seat, all is going to happen if you hit a roadblock. You're going to find a detour. You're not going to run off cliff. Your job's not going to be over. Your business is not going to go down. And sometimes taking a step back is actually better. Mm-hmm. Um, the phrase that I really enjoy right now is, "You got to slow down to speed up."
2: Mm-hmm. I love that question. And thank you so much for asking that, because that is such a fear for people. And I think those clients that are abusive in their relationship with their supplier, with their uh, vendor, they put that fear in our heads and it's, it's easy. But I also feel like, you know, the money part, that should be secondary as a business owner. You know, yes, you need to make money. Yes, you need to exist. But finding the right partnership is key because you cannot have partnerships that are not sustainable. And our clients have to be a partner to us. Sergey and I are both in the people business. We, they're human beings. They have emotions. They make mistakes. And I'm not going to sit here and say, Our companies are perfect ever, but we'll always fix it. We will always make it right. And so the customers that we work with have to have a partnership with us. And they also have to be understanding. And some people just don't want to do that. And you know what? Not everyone is the right customer. Not everyone's the right fit. So I would say to those business owners is figure out who your right client is and focus on the right client that fits your personality, the company dynamic, the um, the things that you're trying to achieve together. And those people are going to propel you. They're going to lift you up. They're not going to make you scared that, you know, if you make one mistake, they're not going to be your partner anymore. You're going to get fired. They might dangle that carrot. Like Sergey said, oh, like, you know, I'm going to give you more business. But at the end of the day, if they're abusive to your teammate who starts crying, it's it's not worth it. It's why would you ever treat another human being a terrible way? We're, we're all trying to make it through life here. And um, those customers are just not worth it. And there's plenty of other customers somewhere else. So.
0: The, the other book that just came to mind, I think it's called The Power of No. It's a great book. N- yeah, mm-hmm. I th- if I remember the title correctly. Uh, no does not close you down. It just Correct. says no to that specific situation or opportunity. And often when I said no, they offered more money. Mm -hmm. So it's it's interesting how it works. You're afraid to say no. But when you do, it never works out the negative way you thought it would.
2: Yeah. I've had a few examples with, you know, customers. Again, we're in the people business. People make mistakes. We've had large buildings that we service. And a person is like, you know what? Another salesperson came in and they said they're going to do this and that. And we're just going to change. And we're like, you know what? Great. And, you know, we're not upset. We're not. We're going to say, how can we make this transition easier for you? And I can't tell you how many of those buildings have come back. And that is such a testament where you might be so scared in the beginning saying, you know what, they're firing us, this is the end of it. But you know what, I think going about it the right way and letting the person realize that maybe the other person sold them on something that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing, you know, some people don't want to accept the mistake that they made. But I think a lot of people will look at themselves and say, you know what, I'd love to have the partner back. And so sometimes saying no in a right way, in a positive way for both parties can be a good thing be professional about it
1: right always yeah
2: let's talk a little bit more about the industry
1: that really the commercial building industry have you noticed that there's a change in vacant buildings since is it a covid thing or what's going on kind of industry-wide and how does that impact your businesses
2: I'll start I guess. Go ahead. Unless you Go end. ahead. <laughs> you know, I got into this industry during the recession, so a lot of the offices were vacant, a lot of businesses couldn't pay their rent, so people were getting locked out. And you asked us your prior question was how's the industry changed and the answer is like industry is constantly changing. People want different office layout. You know, in the 80s, they had the high cubes and they wanted that personal space. And all of a sudden, we got this like beautiful, wide open space. But then COVID happened and maybe shared space is not great. So now we're going back to offices. So as a business in this industry, you constantly have to be looking at trends and what's happening. And I think there's a lot of fear right now that offices going away and people are working from home. But what people are not realizing is office will always have a need. People still need to meet and collaborate. They still need to go to something. They still need to see their coworkers, have some relationships. So office is changing. It's just changing. And a lot of co-working spaces um, are becoming more popular because you have a little office where you can take calls, you know, from another country or, you know, get a focus when you can't get a focus at home. So there's going to be a shift in how offices are run. I don't think you know, the call centers used to be really prevalent. You know, it's like, let's get people into the office and put a kombucha machine and a slide and, (laughs) you know, get everyone to come in and sit there for eight hours. And people don't care about that anymore. So what do people care about now? They want a fun lobby with a nice layout where they can work on their laptop. They can talk to their coworkers. They can bring their dog where it has a sense of community. And we're seeing that in a lot of office buildings right now. They're redoing their common spaces to include a gym, to include a restaurant, to include something that will bring people in there. And it's working.
1: If you have so. a table tennis uh, in, the, in your lobby, mm-hmm. but you're shitty to me, I'm not, not staying no. worth it. Yeah,
0: I'm just trying to figure out which call center had the kombucha machine. <laughs>
1: right. Right <in> right. <laughs> Forget yeah. the table yeah, right. tennis.
0: That's all I got out of that. Yeah. You know, I think the landscape is changing. But Gina said, right, it's changing. So what? everything's changing. Mm-hmm. Things always change. That is part of the beautiful thing in life. Today, your life sucks. Tomorrow is going to change, right? So that's mm-hmm. the beauty of it. So I have a little bit of a different opinion. My opinion is COVID gave birth to new businesses, new mindsets, new trends, right? There was, even though it was such a negative time, it also bubbled things up. So the easy one to grab onto is obviously working from home. Technology, right? Because as soon as companies sent mm-hmm. people home, historically, it would say, oh, I don't know how we're going to make it work and privacy and computers and internet. And,
1: and I, can I trust they're going to do the work? Right. Mm-hmm.
0: And all of a sudden, overnight, they had to. And they learned how to do it. So they figured it out. They've also been able to learn from that and say, OK, maybe it works with certain positions, but not others. And maybe this creates productivity, turns it down. So it brought data to us to analyze it. For me, unfortunately, there was some negatives that came with COVID. Because when you're working from home, as Gina mentioned, collaboration is gone. Some of my clients have went home and they're still working from home. Mm -hmm. We have a facility manager. She oversees, I think, like 85 different uh, smaller uh, facilities here. She works from home. You can't go see her. She's still afraid of getting out of the real world. So communication became emails and phone calls. Well, that puts a little bit of a wedge in a relationship. It's very difficult to keep that going. And everybody's all zoomed out and teams out and everything else, right? So that's become a challenge. It also has happened that a lot of people that were pretty close to retiring or potentially looking different careers took that as an opportunity and they did. Mm-hmm. So now I'm seeing a lot of younger professionals in our industry that don't have the same value to relationships because the younger generation, even though smartphones were meant to connect us, it did separate us a little bit. We got used to communicating on a text or an email. And when I call them, they don't want to answer. What what do what do I say? You want to talk to me? Right? Send me an email. So it's changed we must understand adapt to it and learn from it it's no different than ai right now everybody thinks it's gonna take over the world no it's a tool that's all it is and you ask any mechanic especially mechanics they got 400 different tools because each tool serves a purpose so you must learn you must adapt i'm a big believer in human evolution if you don't evolve you'll go extinct
1: I hope that Gina can be part of this conversation too. And if not, forgive me. I know when Ruben and I talked um, about having you on, one of the things he said is he was impressed by how you've been utilizing AI. And can you just spend a few minutes talking about how, like for me, just to kind of, to set the stage for this, just in content alone, we used to have to have somebody listen to the transcript of a show to come up with a show summary if I couldn't keep up with the conversation and do that. Um, Social media, I mean, all all the things around the the context of shows, it has made our lift so much easier for my teammates. We still keep the humanity in it. We still make Mm -hmm. sure that everybody's, you know, proofing and adding our own flavor and our, our voice and that sort of thing. So I'm curious from both of your perspectives, if it fits, uh, Sergei, starting with you, how have you utilized a- AI to take your business to the next level?
0: So I'm going to pick up from where you left off. Uh, AI is just a tool, right? Like we were saying right? earlier. So you still have to have your human factor, everything in there. That's my little disclaimer, that it's not going to replace jobs. It's going to improve them. If you were smart before, you're going to become smarter. That, that's really what it's doing, right?
1: Would you also say real quick that if you're not... Utilizing AI that you're going to be left. Oh, a
0: thousand percent. Agreed. I I have people tell me right now, well, I don't have a need for that in my business. That's not correct. You just have an explorer. I think very simple, and maybe this is promoting, but there's a website called there's an AI for that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I think there's 8,000.
1: Oh, I don't know that.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Whatever (laughs) you want, whatever you need. Every day, they're adding like three or 400 different ones out there.
1: It's called what?
0: There is an AI for that.
1: All right, show's over. Got to do some research. <laughs>
0: so that is what I tell people is the easiest place to start. Go in there, put in category. If you if you run a social media profile and that's how you make money, go get a bot that's going to help you respond to your audience. Go train it. Go, go build it. Go figure yeah. it out. But there is work to put into it. It's not just a computer that you turn on and it does it, mm-hmm. right? You, you have to program it. You have to become, the word I use is a prompt engineer. You mm-hmm. get from it what you put in. If I do a simple thing of saying, write me a LinkedIn post, well, it's going to try to guess and figure it out and do that. But if I properly load it, if I put my persona in there and everything in there, it's not removing me. It doesn't make it fake. I am still the driver. Anybody who has cruise control in their car, that doesn't mean you're not driving. And yeah. if you have a Tesla with the autopilot, you're still the driver. AI is the same thing. Mm-hmm. So what it's helped us in business is… In case of emergencies, we have to do things on almost time and material basis. So the customer, the joke that we say is you give me the the keys to your building in a blank check and you trust me to take care of it. Which means I have a huge responsibility. And that responsibility is documentation mm-hmm. and communication. Mm-hmm. So because of that, AI has allowed my field technicians, my project managers, my, my uh, estimators to be able to provide a much better communication product to the clientele with a lot better detail. And it's done much quicker and easier. It doesn't take away from the integrity of it or the information that they provide in there. It just simply polishes it and makes it better. But it also reduces my cost. It reduces my cost because if the guy had to spend 30 minutes to write an email and do the update, Mm -hmm. and now it takes him five, and that 30 minutes he did six of them. The customers get it faster, the employer pays less, which ultimately drives the cost down. So if you're rejecting your service vendors or partners from using this tool Mm. that ultimately benefits you, you're you're basically that old CEO who used to make their assistant print out the emails because they rejected the electronic version of it. And they wanted to read it on paper.
1: I've been blessed with the opportunity to co-host Arizona Technology Council show for the last almost three years with Steve Zalstra. And the conversations we've had around the security of AI. In fact, uh, we had two delegates from Romania not, not too long ago And it was fascinating from a completely different culture and company perspective Mm -hmm. and country perspective. We're all faced with the same concerns and worry. Are we going to be put out of jobs? Or uh, is there a security issue? So while we have to keep and pay attention to the trends and the concerns, you also are going to be left in the dust if you're not utilizing these tools, to Sergey's point.
0: And, you know, security was a big thing for us as well. There are systems out there, products out there that are encrypted, Enclosed that you can maintain control over. Yes. So yes, if you're just using ChatGPT, of course. And mm-hmm. I think ChatGPT is like a Kleenex, right? It's it's just a name that's stuck to it. But there's so many other different uh, AI brains and different products. Like I said, you go to the website; it's like nine thousand of I them. There. I
1: can't wait to check that out. Gino, what are what what do you have to share?
2: I absolutely agree with that. And um, again, it, AI is a tool, and we keep talking about the business world and change. And change is inevitable. Change is constant. So when people, people constantly, it's, it's human nature to fight change and, you know, say, oh, this is going to be the end of the world or this is going to not work. And this is funny. I learned this when I was in college. I remember I had a BlackBerry because that was a business phone. <laughs> and in my class, I did a presentation of how the BlackBerry was superior to the iPhone. And... <laughs> I had a palm Pre. That
0: was...
2: (laughs) No, but like BlackBerry was for business and iPhone was like this joke for, you know, if you were just, I don't know, listening to... college kid listening to music. Yeah, like there's no way Apple was going to take over. And then it did. And I love Apple. If Apple built a house, I would buy it. Like I love everything (laughs) about Apple nowadays. But everything changes and things shift. (laughs) And we have to adapt to them because those people that, you know, there were people that fought computers, that fought all sorts of things as it comes out. And AI is such a great tool that can be applied to so many businesses. And again, being in janitorial, it's it's very easy entry industry. All you have to do is grab a bucket and a mop and you can clean houses, you can clean hotels, you can clean office buildings. You just have to know how to scale it. And you're like, oh, how am I going to use AI? Like, what's that going to do for me? There's hundreds, thousands of ways you can apply it time savings for marketing material that you're writing, ideas for meetings, ideas for clients. There's just so much it can offer. But new technology, in my opinion, also creates new jobs. Mm. So if people learn about them and they know how to use them and they become experts at them, new jobs will come out of that. So mm. right now, the folks that aren't keeping up with it will be behind the time. Similar to the people that are like, oh, the BlackBerry will be here forever. Or I think AI is fascinating. I think it's so important to stay Along with it, to see where it goes, where it takes us. As with any technology, we might have something new that comes out in the next five years. Who knows? But um, I'm
0: I'm thinking about the last thing you said, Karen, right? As far as people rejecting or not using it. Even if you don't need it in your business, knowing how to operate it may open doors to things mm -hmm. that you never thought would exist, right? You may find a new job that actually uses that. I know so many people who became an AI consultant. They go to businesses Mm -hmm. to teach them how to roll it out, Mm -hmm. right? And I know this gentleman said to me, they built an AI program. For training. Using AI. They charge $4.99 for it. In the first month they sold a thousand of them. Oh, wow. Do the math, right? right. So use AI to build AI. Yeah. And, and he laughs at it. He goes, I would have rejected it. So the best thing to do is find something that you can use it. Something simple. Forget about the encryption and forget about complexity and training and prompting and all the Instagram commercials about all the bots and everything. Get that noise out of the way. Mm-hmm. Just start somewhere with something simple and understand how it works.
1: Yeah, it is. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. We are almost at the top of the hour. Before we round out our conversation today, I think that buying local and staying local is important to both of you. You've, you've shared that. How about getting involved in the community? You are, both are extraordinary business owners. Is there a nonprofit? Is there some community service that you guys wrap your hearts around? And, and if so, what would that be for you?
2: Oh, gosh. You know, there's so much happening in Phoenix that I love getting involved with. And um, community involvement has always been important to me and with the company. So something that we do at Edge is we do community projects on a quarterly basis. Mm -hmm. And again, instead of doing something that's super important to Gina, we put out a survey to our team and say, you know, what else are we passionate about? And so different team members contribute to different things that are important to them. And then every quarter, we do something together as a team and who can get involved physically or sometimes we donate things, but we make that a priority for us as a company. So we've done work with cats, We've done work with You Mom. Dog charities are big ones that come up. You know, the you know story talks about the new generation. A lot of people I work with um, love animals. So we do quite a bit of that. Uh, We rotate on that. We've done things with Phoenix Children's.
1: I love that you don't leave it just to you and what's important to you or what's on your heart. You put it out there and and let it be a collective effort. That's big.
2: It makes it more fun that way. and It also introduces us to charities that we might have not known need help or exist or we can be a resource to them. And so many of them are overlooked and everyone Mm -hmm. has a passion for something, right? Because maybe their family member had a disease or maybe they struggled through something. So that's how we approach it. And I think, again, there's so many national charities that get a lot of um, attention through social media and through big corporations. There's so many local ones that might not get as much attention. And that's what I like to focus on because, again, I I want to make sure that we're a good corporate citizen to Phoenix because Phoenix has been good to me and I want us to always think about um, how we can be good to Phoenix and the people that work and live here. Mm
0: listen to that and think about my answer i think it's echoes some of those same things i don't i've never attached myself to one single item right and maybe it's because i've wanted to other team members to to participate or maybe my clients have certain things that's Mm -hmm. close to home to them obviously i i'm a big supporter of taking care of here Mm -hmm. we live here we 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 raise our families here. This is our community. This is our neighborhood. Uh, Gina said a uh, small town. I say it's a large village, uh, world's largest village, if you look at it that way, right? That's but, what my mom calls it. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of feels like it sometimes, right? But animals is a big thing to me. If I had my way, it would only be animals because I like dogs more than humans. They tend to be a little bit easier, but I've done a lot of different things. We've done projects for remodeling. They are like smaller houses for uh, women escaping abusive relationships, Mm -hmm, right? right. So obviously you don't say those names or where they are, but helping out there, right? Renovating, get rid of mold, Mm -hmm. get rid of asbestos. I've done projects with my customers where they wanted to go and rehab a house for somebody who got uh, selected. So a lot of different things. I've traveled out of state uh, to help communities that got hit by storms that did not go there to generate revenue, Mm -hmm. but go there to help people. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm a religious refugee, I am here because uh, somebody had an organization that donated money to allow me to come here. When we came here, the community rallied around us to help my mom get that job, to help us find an apartment. I remember, I mean, I was 95, so I was like 11. I was gonna pay $25 an hour to babysit for this family. It's not because they wanted to give me that much money or deserved it, they mm-hmm. knew that I needed it, and, and I was bringing it home to share with my mom. So the community has always been a part of my success from the gentleman at lunch who helped me going, that is the community. That is help. And one of the promises that he made me do is that I pay it forward. So I have always looked for somebody that can help out, whether it's my time, my energy, my resources, whatever it is that I can help with, I'm willing to do that. And it will never leave you empty.
2: Mm -hmm. I think also with helping out, it's helping people that are maybe a little bit lost. And I, I will use myself as an example. I did not know what to do when I graduated. And so I love being a resource to people who are either trying to change their career or they want to learn a little bit more about this industry or they just want some advice on what they can do. And networking is huge in our industry. Everything that we do revolves around networking, knowing people, how you build those relationships. Again, when I met my business partner, we we're competitors. We never needed to talk, but we did talk. Sergey and I, we were competitors at one and We put we friends could to said,
0: competitors and back to friends, <laughs> yeah. right? That's, we're that's... Gonna,
1: the next time I have you two in, we're yeah. going to talk solely about what <laughs> that period of time when you were competitors. So. What was we that didn't like? Talk. We did not. No, talk. we
2: did. We really did. We just kept, you know, fighting for the same jobs and the same customers. And I mean, I kept winning. <laughs> Honestly, like Sergey was always the best, and I, I'm like, I remember was, I have to a, say I'm the best, but but he's the best. It <laughs> was the motto of the
0: company. I was like, I don't care if we do it for free. She's not winning. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and here you are, friends again. We okay, are. Yes. But again, I think that's a way to like help the community as well. If somebody came to me and they said, "Hey, I have a son, I have a daughter, mm-hmm. I'm trying to do a career change," or somebody it might be near the valley, I've also learned recently that when you're new to the Valley and you don't know anyone, it's hard to apply for thousands of jobs um, on LinkedIn, on whatever platform it is. It's hard to get an interview. It's all about who you know, and maybe that person's hiring. Maybe that person has an open position. I always want to be that person where if, if I can connect people, if I can bring them together, if I can think like, oh, this person would be great for this role. And now I know this company's looking, maybe I can bridge that gap. So I love meeting people. One of my favorite books is Never Eat Alone. Yes. Um, Because you are always meeting somebody. You're always spending time with somebody. You never know if you're going to help them. You don't know if they're going to introduce something into your life. But I love being that connector for people that might also be a little lost like I was when I graduated. So
1: Yeah. Uh, Being in gratitude, I'm picking up on several themes, right? Uh, Following trends, keeping Mm -hmm. track of things, staying ahead of the game, being competitive. Being kind and considerate with everybody in your sphere. Having an attitude of gratitude. You both have spoken to that. And then really just being that helping hand with no expectation that some, something's or anything's going to come back your way. Yeah, really great conversation today. I appreciate both of you. Before we close out the segment, what is the best way for people to stay in touch with you? And and how can we find out more about your businesses specifically?
0: <laughs> I'll go first. Throw a uh, Obviously, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook. So um, our website is restorationhq.us big dreams, right? We want to go multiple mm-hmm. states. Yeah.
1: Can you speak to that for a minute? What, what is on your heart and what's next strategically for Restoration HQ? So
0: we were exploring the franchise model, right? Because mm-hmm. remember, the promise I made is helping somebody um, pay it forward. So I think actually the last time I was on here, uh, that was what we talked about. It's changed a little bit because what I realized is that while my goal is the same, the platform I was using to do that was not right. A franchise model is not that. That's just looking for somebody who's got money to buy into. That's not necessarily putting them in that position. So we went back to the drawing board and we decided that we're going to build a private chain. So therefore, we can place those people in those positions, the general managers, the project managers who may have been overlooked yeah. and then give them an opportunity to earn equity where they can own that location now. So they become a partner of ours rather than a franchisee. Yeah. And once I... Pulled back all those contracts. It was terrible. So to answer your question, we have two locations right now. We are hoping to cross into a neighboring state, preferably Texas, because I'm a little selfish and I like Texas. <laughs> uh, rem- it's funny. It reminds me of Arizona. Weird, right? <laughs> I wanted to run from it. Here we are. <laughs> So that's our plan. As far as finding out more information about us, restorationhq.us is the best way. We do a lot of things on LinkedIn. Uh, we're big into relationships, so we like the face-to-face. Uh, you won't see our trucks running around with phone numbers and things like that because that's not a relationship-driven model. That yeah. is just Transactional. A, yeah, or well, guerrilla marketing, right? Anybody who calls you, you pick it up. Uh, shotgun approach. We don't like that because that you have to fire more customers because of that. And you have to yeah. hire more employees that may not fit that. Yeah. So that's the easiest way, social media. Otherwise... I actually have my phone number and my email on my LinkedIn. I don't hide that. Reach out to me. You want to grab lunch? You want to talk about it? If I can make it work, I 100% will make it work.
2: Thank you. As far as uh, getting in touch with us, same way. We have a presence online, edgebuildingservices.com. And Same idea when we started Edge, we didn't call it Edge janitorial because we didn't want to limit ourselves to the janitorial industry. We're in the people business. So we're going to be a building services company. So what can we do for buildings? And something that came out for us during COVID was construction cleaning. Because construction cleaning is huge in Arizona. There's so much opportunity and so many companies don't take the route to do it right. It's a completely different industry than janitorial. And some people have it, they don't want to do it, they're not prepared for it. But it's something that our clients start reaching out to us, and we've been able to build as its own separate department. So I just set up a little bit differently than a typical janitorial company. And if we ever talk again, talking about local versus national companies is a really fun topic. But for us, being a local company, and just backtracking a little bit, Rick has had another janitorial company in the past, and he sold it. And you... You have to make mistakes to realize what happens because people will promise you all sorts of different things. And when you're in it, you understand something. So with Edge, we are never going to sell. Like, that's not our goal. Our goal is not to be the biggest. It's not to grow it. It's not to sell it. None of that. We want to be the best option for the customers that are right for us here in Arizona. And if that takes us to another state down the road, awesome. But we've grown quite significantly in the last 10 years. We're in a good spot. We love the clients that we work with. We'd love to grow more, of course, because that helps us provide better things, like better health insurance for our employees, all those things. But construction cleaning, so again, our companies set up a little bit differently. So janitorial companies have janitors. But for us, we have three different departments. We have commercial cleaning, which is janitorial. We have special services, which is carpet cleaning, floor care, window cleaning. And those people aren't janitors. They don't clean. They hold certifications. They are professional techs that run that department. So just explain it quickly. In a building, you might have a janitor and you might have a floor machine in there. And when another janitor calls out, another janitor uses that machine, we don't like that. We Mm -hmm. say professionals should use what they're trained in and what they can do. So we have that department, and that department has been such a complement to this construction cleaning thing. And in the last three years, we've been able to make a third department called Construction Cleaning Division of Edge. And so those folks are specifically trained in how to do construction cleaning, what the market's looking for, because apartments are getting built out here. So our industrial centers, uh, lobbies are getting redone, tenant spaces are getting redone. So that is probably our next thing is to just really focus on these special services, complementary departments for our company.
1: It would have been really remiss if we didn't let you get that Piece in. So yeah. thank you for taking advantage <laughs> yeah. of that. That's perfect. It's and uh, no, it's fantastic because it really, for our listeners, not only have we talked about leadership and, and servant leadership and just your, your stories as business owners and the way in which you've developed yourselves and the people who are in your sphere, we also want to make sure that people understand your business and, and who's the right fit for you. So thank you for that.
2: Uh, you're also on LinkedIn, Gina? Yes. And then your LinkedIn Instagram is edge cleans, edge underscore cleans. Uh, LinkedIn, same as Sergey, I love when people reach out to me. I love to connect with people. I just stay present in this industry and this market and with anyone that might be curious about this market or what our companies are because there's so many moving parts.
1: Yeah. So, And I would very much love to have you two back on for that next conversation, local versus uh, international, or oh. well, international, oh, but also but national. We love well, that topic. <laughs> so another, another longtime uh, client of ours is Local First Arizona, and Thomas Barr does his oh, yeah. show with us. And I'm, every time he's in here and I'm sitting behind the production board and I'm listening to his, his plea and his um, just wisdom around why it's so important to keep things local, I learn something new every time. So I would love to have you back for that conversation and whatever else shows up in the space. <laughs> so thank you again for spending some of your time with us today. And I'm really appreciative, Ruben, for the introduction, even though we had already connected somewhat in, in the past. This and Gina, true. really pleased that Sergey thought to have you today. You were just the perfect partnership to have today's conversation. Hey, great. Thank, thank you both so much. Thank you. Yeah. You've been listening to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the MAC6 Entrepreneurial Center. Some media leans left, some lean right, and we in business. Until next time, I'm Karen